Dear listener, thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Inside Impact Investing. In four episodes, we're discussing the need and pathways for radical economic change. In this third episode, we talk about radical change from a regulatory perspective. Our guest today is Sandrine Dixon. She's the co-president of the Club of Rome, and she's the chair of the expert group on economic and societal impact of research and innovation. She has more than 30 years of European and international policy, business leadership, strategy experience, and she focuses on sustainable development and sustainable finance. Sandrine Dixon and Hans Stegman, the chief investment strategist at Triodos Investment Management, discuss together the tools and trends in investing to drive systemic change. Welcome, Sandrine. It's very nice that you wanted to join our podcast. Um, The topic of this episode is the moving target of impact investing. We will uh, start with discussing the big picture of reset the economy and the role of finance and discuss the tools and toolbox, how to get there. And of course, we will end with some conclusions uh, on this. So welcome, Sandrine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. As, as an appetizer, um, because we have a lot to discuss, I think, on this topic, I think it's nice to start with a few short yes-no questions. So I will give you a kind of dilemma, and the only thing you can say is yes or no. Um, so the first one, a reset after COVID-19 will happen. Hmm. I can only have yes or no. That's mm-hmm. horrible. Okay, I'd say no. Second one, the energy transition made a big step in COVID-19 times. No. Okay, the third one, without stricter regulation, the financial sector will remain unsustainable. Yes. Um, Impact investing will become the new normal for the whole financial sector. Hmm. No. Okay, so... um, Although it were all dilemmas, I see three no's and one yes. So what does it say about your optimism or pessimism for uh, (laughs) the years to come? Well, I I think I'm a realist. Um, So it's not necessarily an optimism or pessimism. I I think that there are, it's each of those no's had a potential yes. But of course, because I had to give a yes or a no, I wasn't able to talk about maybe. And I think that's where the gray area is. And that's the importance. So impact investing is fundamental, but we will need public finance no matter what. So impact investing can't be the only way of shifting capital. The recovery, unfortunately, has demonstrated that actually we are back to business as usual and we're not building back better, even though we're putting in place some of the mechanisms necessary to shift capital into either green or social projects. So so unfortunately, what is coming out is, in all of my responses, is is the need to get better at shifting that gray area and making that realism uh, a real opportunity for changing the current systems that we have. And that means working with the investment community. It also means working with policymakers and ensuring that we have both 
more regulation, but also commitments from the finance sector to truly shift. Yeah, and th- th- this is of course already a, um, a great introduction to to talk. This is already starting to talk about the big picture, of course. So mm-hmm. ab- about investing for the recovery, or rather, investing to transform our economy. And if you if you look at the landscape, and uh, so, so you you're really well informed in terms of what's happening in in Brussels, but also in the broader investor uh, investment uh, community. What do you see, see as as the main trends currently in in the public as well as the the, the private investment landscape? What what is happening there? So where we did see a shift in COVID is clearly that risk taking became a real issue and that those investments that actually had been stress tested against environmental, social and governance criteria. So more ESG funds or ESG investments tripled during COVID. So I think that the the realization that actually our existing economy before COVID was being totally disrupted and those dinosaurs that traditionally were doing very well. Some of them didn't do so well and others continued to do well, but it was very much linked to their role within the value chain and also the way in which they were supposed to de-risk or could de-risk their investment choices. And I, I think the element of risk is becoming increasingly important, in particular when you look at crisis management now in terms of the fact that we have several tipping points. We've gone beyond the planetary boundaries. And as Donella Meadows, one of the original authors of The Limits to Growth indicated, we will not just have one crisis. We will have a series of crises. So we now have a health pandemic, we have a climate crisis, and we have a biodiversity crisis happening at the same time. It is those companies that have actually de-risked their value chains and those investment portfolios that have done the same, that in many cases are thriving or doing better through the crisis. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Uh, So so you, you, and I completely agree with you that um, risk has a different dimension during COVID-19. And we have seen that that de-risking in terms of ESG works. Um, but my problem, and I think, I think especially from a triodos perspective, the problem with only talking about sustainability and don't say that you do it, but the language of, of sustainability in the financial sector is a, is a, is a language of risk. And at triodos, we have some trouble with translating that to what we do in terms of impact investing. So it's, it's also, it's something positive sustainability. It's not about, it's, of course, partly about avoiding risk, but in the end, yeah. it's something you want to achieve in a positive way. And I think that, how, how do you see that also in terms of, of, of the regulatory landscape, which, which only talks about risks? And I think we, we are omitting what we want to achieve because no one has a vision about risks. <laughs> we have a vision about sustainability, which is, which is more positive. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. And and let me bring in maybe two contextual pieces. I think one is that we now have realized that, for example, from the WEF perspective, the long-term risk outlook, right, that was just published in in January of this year, and it's published every every year, that of those top 10 risks, eight of them are linked to the environment or to sustainability. 
as well as the health pandemic. So, so now risk has become almost integrated into the way in which we look at business, right? And, and the way in which we also look at how we can become more sustainable and build resilience to future crises is now relative to the way in which we look at business in general. And that's really important because you're right. It's no longer just about a risk scenario. It's both about a risk scenario, a resilience building scenario, and also a positive future scenario. And that comes to your point. We need to get better at demonstrating what those alternative futures look like. That's where the new economic thinking is becoming so important. The the other key element that came out of COVID beyond the fact that we saw an exponential increase in capital flowing to ESG funds was the fact that actually those economies that have shifted their economies from only thinking about growth So well-being economies, for example, or donut economies at the local level are the ones that did better coming out of COVID. Why is that? Because they are structuring their economies around different indicators, social indicators, environmental indicators, and economic indicators. And it is those three pillars that are actually underpinning the way in which they look at the economy, but also they place a value on what's more important and what's more essential. And so the last point there I would make is that they also are economies that have decided to put in place new democratic processes that bring people on the journey. So communication was enhanced, assemblies, citizen assemblies, a discussion with people. And I know this is something that Triodos talks a lot about as a bank for the people. There was an interaction with citizens explaining to them why this is a better alternative future, why placing a value only on growth is not the future. So I think, I think those different elements now are demonstrating to us that actually there is a strength in looking at resilience and our shifting our economies and our finance system into a changing element rather than just a financing change. So we're changing the finance system rather than just financing change. Yeah, completely agree, and and also agree that this is really uh, changing finance is one of the things we 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 really love to do <laughs> or contribute to as, as Triodos. Um, but if you still, if we stay still a little bit at the big picture, um, I think we also see a change in the role governments take, like mm-hmm. like Biden does in 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 the U.S. And I think that also, so public investments have have I think a different dimension. Uh, in in this this post covid time which is also quite challenging sometimes in in terms of is it not too much is it not too risky but what what do you think is this different and and so maybe concentrate first on on the US but maybe also in Europe will it really help what governments do in terms of public investment is this really building back better or is it satisfying your voters in short term i i think that we absolutely have to have better public investment and targeted public investment and we need to have politicians who are ready to bite the bullet and show the willingness that infrastructural investments which is what we're seeing with the biden administration go hand in hand with sustainability. 
that it's not just building roads. It's actually building resilience once again through our infrastructure so that actually we're not shortchanging people's lives and livelihoods. And, and this is the beauty of the Biden administration. I mean, also talking about financial disclosure and actually going towards, you know, ensuring that large businesses now start to pay their taxes. I mean, these are huge decisions that have never been taken before. And there is a leader that is actually biting the bullet and having the courage to do that. And that's what we need. We need, because the problem is that with short-term decision-making, Policy leaders, and in particular, politicians, have forgotten that they're supposed to be leading for the people, that their decisions are supposed to be for the people, not just for themselves. And and that actually for the people means you have to build in the next generation. You you need to ensure that your decision-making doesn't have an impact, not only on this generation and the citizens that are before you, but also the next generation. And, and that is also the story that we need to get better at telling is that these long term, these short term decisions will have long term impacts that are win wins rather than lose lose. Yeah. And also completely agree. But do you think so on, on, on the Biden administration, it's clear that it's going in at least a better direction than before. But that yeah. that was in any case. Well, that wasn't too difficult, right? No. <laughs> But if you if you look at Europe and the Green Deal that we had, and also other regulation, especially for the financial sector, which which you know much more about it, like mm-hmm. like uh, SFDR and and the taxonomy, I often have doubts. Although it's going in the right direction, is it good enough? And is it fast enough? Mm-hmm. What, what? Yeah. I'm in doubt. Sometimes I have my positive days, sometimes my negatives. And today I think it's not my most optimistic day on that. Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I, that's, this is why we need to, to shift a little bit. And the, you know, the biggest risk that we have within right now, the Biden administration and the U S and I'll, I'll then shift to Europe is the fact that they continue to maintain a perspective that technology will solve everything. And and that therefore, if you just invest in technology, um, you will be able to shift the curve on greenhouse gas emissions, which by the way, now with the new IPCC leaked report findings is close to impossible. Um, Or that you'll be able to, and you see my my mission to the moon, my moon um, missile behind me, that you can just go to the moon or go to Mars and avoid continuing on planet Earth. I I would say that, no, right now what we need is we need to realize that our mission is our mission to save the planet. And to do that, we need short-term levers that think about long-term systems change. The taxonomy is a perfect example of that, or the benchmarking, or the financial disclosure regulations that we've put in place. These are short-term levers that are starting to shift. I mean, I would take it one step further and say that our budgets need to be fully integrating of climate risk and also biodiversity risks, that we should be going to, you know, net poverty and more equity and therefore need to make the shifts, that we need to value in externalities. All of that needs to be taken into consideration at the same time as we put in place some of these new mechanisms like financial disclosure 
benchmarking, and taxonomy. When it comes to the taxonomy, what we've learned after two years of thinking our North Star was the European Green Deal, we needed to be fit for 55, so 55% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. We therefore put in place recommendations, investors, experts, um, as well as representatives from the European Commission for two years. We worked on all the different sectors and economic activities and thought, okay, we don't want this to be a greenwashing system. That's what we've been told. We want this taxonomy framework to fit our objectives. To do that, here are what we are claiming can be put down as green projects. And here is what we're saying, don't fit the green label. We brought that out to politicians, and then we started a political bartering. And this is where the difficulty lies. We are all saying we need science-based decision-making. We have these objectives in place, but then member states, countries get nervous because actually the rubber hits the road and they realize that they have economic interests in certain sectors, whether it be nuclear or gas or forestry, et cetera, and therefore that they need to have watered down criteria so that their sectors can be part of the green economy, even though we've put in place very strict recommendations. So this is where I get skeptical and your skepticism is absolutely right. And that's why we need brave new politicians to take this to the next step, or we need to decide that our politicians are no longer going to represent us in terms of this ambitious new Green Deal, and we have to go into the streets or vote in new politicians. Going forward, so I, I see some, of course, some some positive elements, and we we have a taxonomy. We started with it, and it's it's not perfect, and I completely agree that not everything can be perfect in a transition. But still, my main question is, and I'm, are we in time? Do we, so you, you refer to we need more new leadership, but it's, it's in the end, it's also about the values and morality of those leaders, but also of the investment industry. Are we in time for that transition? So we can wait for regulation, but we can also do things ourselves. Absolutely. And when it comes to the finance sector and individuals, clearly citizens need to choose the banks where they put their money. We need to do the same with our pension plans. Um, as individuals, we also need to start to push policymakers to put pressure on the investment community to make the right choices and to shift the capital to where it needs to go. I, I think in addition to that, Hans, I, I would go further in saying that We're not in time, but um, what we need to do now is decide to optimize those tools in the toolbox that truly can shift the bar. So if we could align ourselves around a more ambitious taxonomy that would start to say what isn't green, that might be necessary. Um, and, you know, we can decide and some will say, well, let the market decide that. So for the moment, we've got parity price with regard to renewables and gas, and, and that shall just speak for itself. Well, my response to that is the market no longer corresponds to the needs of people nor the planet. We are going to have to figure out how we can have a market that actually does truly 
reflect the needs of people and planet. And, and, and the same with our capital flows. So I'll, one more example, maybe just a quick thought. As I've been working with Emmanuel Faber, who was you know, former CEO of Danone, Emmanuel Faber, as you know, by the predatory investment community, was forced out as chair of Danone and chair of the board. And he was partly forced out because the short-term results weren't as high as they should have been. But he was also a long-term CEO and a long-term thinker who was putting in place a total shift in the way in which Danone did business, which was more socially and environmentally equitable. If we don't shift the way our entire business and market works, then we will continue to be confronted with this short-term decision-making that is purely putting profit above people and planet. And that, that is for every single decision that is taken, which is linked to our economy. And that is what we unfortunately need to shift very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I completely right that regulation does a part But in the end, short-termism in the financial sector and how decisions are taken, which still mainly risk-return metrics are all over the place and sometimes we do some ESG integration or whatever and and that's it. Um, and of course, at, at Triodos, we we try and I think we do, we, we do really more than that, starting with impact. But what the problem still is... Um, If clients cannot see the difference between what is sustainability, what is really sustainable, for instance, take Danone. And if we invest in Danone and Danone's return is lower or its equity price falls, then our clients are confronted with a lower risk return. Um, mm -hmm. We have very nice clients, so they most of the time accept it, but there is also some some, uh, a lower bound. And most clients don't see the difference between what is truly sustainable, what is a little bit sustainable, and what is no more than a little bit of risk integration of sustainability. And I come to my question. My biggest fear is <laughs> that all that regulation that comes out concentrates only on uh, regulating the, the greenest part and not the rest. Yeah. And that's in the end, a, a real uh, threat for, for a shift because mm -hmm. then then regulations be, becomes only against the greenwashing of what is already green and not about greenwashing for the rest. How do yeah. you see that? No, you're absolutely right. And I think that's why we need to have other trigger mechanisms that shift the market. So we need to think about divestment from fossil energy um, and we need to ban uh, certain polluting practices There is a big move right now, and we saw it in the G7 declaration, which, which very clearly indicated that the G7 leaders pledged once again, and they've done it before, so let's hope that they hold it, that they will actually pull out of any subsidies on fossil energy. That's fundamental, but they need to bring in, unfortunately, the Saudis and all the others you know, to truly do that. And then it needs to go even further. So not just get rid of the perversity in the market, because we could say the same for agriculture subsidies or other subsidies that are propping up those industries which are actually part of the problem. But in addition, we need to talk about banning and divestment. 
We've got now new proposals that are coming in front of several member states. Uh, the UK has already made theirs and, and others to ban any ICE engines by 2030 or 2035. That will also have an impact. So I fear that we, we will need some of these major bans and major divestment proposals to really make the difference. And then actually it will shift capital to where it needs to go because everyone's trying to leverage until the very end. Yeah, and I'm thinking of one of the big dilemmas we we have had also at Triados um, in terms of investments, and maybe it's nice to discuss that one because we already divested a long time ago, of course, from the fossil fuel industry, but we currently we're in discussing fast fashion, so uh, H&M, Inditex, um, which are doing very nice things on living wages in, in their value chain, uh, working very hard on, 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 for instance, circular economy plans. But in the end, it's the second polluting industry. So we decided in the end that there's no place for us to invest there. And, and that's a challenge because they score very high on most of the ESG ratings because they have their policies in place and, and all nice things, very good communication and marketing practices. And that's very hard for investors to take a stance there, to, to say, yeah, but the core of the business is non-sustainable. How, how would you see that? Because in, I think if we're going to have a classification for taxonomy also on social practices, they score very well. Probably they're also a little bit green in, <laughs> because they probably have a, a science-based target uh, in place. Um, this is really one of the, 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 the most practical dilemmas we see in the listed space. So the, they do nothing wrong in terms of policies, but the core of the business model is very polluting. You're absolutely right. And I think this now comes back to the core question around, are we tinkering around the edges of the different systems or are we really creating systems change? Um, one of the reasons why the Club of Rome is not always everyone's best friend is because we talk about the core of the problem, which is we, as a growing population, are having such an impact on the planetary boundaries that we can't just tinker. We have to talk about consumption. We have to think about totally shifting the way in which we engage with our different systems. And, and that means that you have to talk about the fact that fast fashion has a huge footprint, no matter what. Um, and let's make it clear. I mean, why are they now all of a sudden talking about living wages? Well, because there have been so many scandals and they've been so burned that they know full well that if they don't do something, they're, they're actually going to be out of business. Do we need to have continuous scandals to wake people up so that they actually do something? And, and this is my fear, that actually humanity is its greatest enemy. We are our greatest existential risk ourselves, to ourselves. And it is only when we're confronted with, you know, the fact that we've got almost 50 degrees in Canada right now. You can bet that now Canadians, all of a sudden, if they weren't thinking about it before, are starting to think, oh, wow, climate change is actually real. The question is, once that bubble of heat leaves, will they continue to think that way? That's when policymakers have to step in and put in place the regulation 
and work with the investment community and also work with the business community to really make an impact and shift the systems. That's In the end, that's really pessimistic. If you say only if the threat is real, so you, you said we are our biggest threat as, as humanity, we, that, that's ourselves, and we come on, can only come to senses when we feel that threat personally, when maybe people die or if it becomes very existential. Is there not... Yeah, maybe. No, and it also refers to to how the investment community goes along with that. So we, most of them, um, will engage as long as possible with all the companies and think, yeah, we should be there because we can have a voice then and 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 lead the way towards a more sustainable business model for oil companies and whatever. Um. So my question would be, what is what should happen? It's not only regulation, it's also about morality in the financial sector. We already talked about div divesting. But what else could make the change in the next, in, in, in the coming two or three years? We talked about a decade of action. I think that's too long. It's about two or three years that we have to really make big changes. And it will not come from politics. And I'm searching for, and I know this is an uh, impossible question, but... Um, What can we do in the short term to really change things? So, I mean, I, I, I know I talk about the emergency and maybe in some ways it's perceived as, as pessimistic. I'm going to come back to my opening remark, which is that I'm a realist. And that means that within that reality, um, I do believe that we can emerge. We can emerge from emergency. But I also put in place environmental management systems in nuclear facilities. Emerging from emergency means you put in place the right protocols. You put in place the right guidance, the right principles, the right action plan in order to get yourself out of the mess that you're in. We need to create those action plans at all levels, at the local level, national level, and international level. We've got the Secretary General of the UN who is now admitting that we are in a state of emergency. We have scientists that are doing the same. As, as Sharon Burroughs says from the International Trade Union Confederation, her message to workers, in particular the unions and coal mines, etc., is wake up people. There are no jobs on a dead planet. That's the message. Now, what do you do? Then you pick yourself up from the bootstraps and you say, okay, I love this planet. I love where I live. My moonshot is trying to make sure that during my lifetime and during these next few years, I will do everything I can to do the right thing. Show me what I need to do. And it doesn't have to be about sacrifice. It is the greatest challenge before us. Let's prove Jane Goodall wrong, who said, we are the most intelligent species, but we are not the wisest. Let's show her that we're wise. Let's show her that we're strategic that we optimize our resources, that all of us as bankers, policymakers, scientists, citizens, come together with the greatest solutions that humanity could ever bring, and we have most of them, and actually put them into play so that we actually reach our moonshot, which is planet Earth. Yeah, that's. I, I think we're, we're almost at, at the end of, of this podcast, but I think 
I really remember the quote you you had. Uh, we are probably the most intelligent, but not the wisest. I think that's that's one we have to remember for the coming years, and and hope that we can be wiser on that. So um, I want to end with three short uh, questions uh, to um, also to look at the future and to to help our listeners to think a little bit about stuff. And the first one, and I think you already told it a little bit, but what is your biggest hope for the coming years? My biggest hope is that we will truly emerge with a an economic system that builds equity into the system, um, that actually de-stresses the system. Because I don't think people, apart from a few, are that happy with their economic situation. Uh, I really believe that we can find more happiness and peace and calm if we live in sync with nature. So my my hope is that post-COVID, this embracing of nature and this understanding of what is most essential can really bring people out and make them realize that actually we don't need tons of stuff to make us happy. No. No, that's that's completely right. Uh, but about stuff, my second question is about stuff. It's about the book. <laughs> so if we don't have any stuff, what book should people write? What could you rec- recommend? And in terms of this topic, what should you read? And and yeah, not limits to growth because the, all of our listeners have already read that. Well, I hope ago. they have. So I would start with limits to growth. <laughs> um, I would definitely read Donut Economics. Um, I would read all the works by Tim Jackson on prosperity without growth. I I would read The Good Ancestor, which is really speaking about our role within society. Um, And so many others that that are on the Club of Rome site, not just our own. And I would maybe make just a little pitch for my own book that I just released with, uh, with with two young women and Princess Esmeralda of Belgium on, uh, on the new world for tomorrow which is in French for the moment, but will actually be translated in Dutch and English, and which very much is an intergenerational dialogue around the importance of this emergence from emergency. Okay. That's not a book. That's a book list. And that's good for people because they don't have time to buy stuff. So that's that's good. And my, my final question is, um, what do you think the financial sector will look like in like over 10 years? What does it do then? I'm really hopeful that the financial sector will come back to supporting people's lives and livelihoods and not just be focused on profit margins and leveraging their own profits. Um, I I think that we need to have a people-centric finance sector and a a planet-centric finance sector. So that that is my greatest hope, that we really shift the finance sector and change finance as as we move forward. Okay, thank you. Very wonderful insights about uh, wiser people, equitable society and a financial sector that will help to to get there. Uh, thank you very much for this uh, for this podcast and hope to see you uh, soon. Thank you. Thank you so much Hans. And also thank you to Triodos for everything it does, really. This brings us to the end of the third episode of our podcast, Inside Impact Investing, and our series, Reset the Economy. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to tune in for episode four, The Role of Private Capital, in which we will discuss a new approach to investing based on impact, risk, and return. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or via your favorite podcast app. Until next time.